Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy Thursday at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Set of Psyop Cinema. I am Thomas, and I'm here not just with Brett today, but also with Jay Dyer, one of our very favorite people to collaborate with, one of the very big inspirations for Psyop Cinema, and someone that we've wanted to have on the show for quite a while, uh, Father Deacon Dr. Ananias Sorum. So, uh, really great group here together, and this is going to be a fairly casual, fairly freeform discussion, um, just thinking about, on a more meta level, our ideas about entertainment from our uh, our orthodox theological perspective that we all bring to bear, and then also just uh, the combination of the, the theological, the epistemological with the political and how that affects our, our views of pop culture. So we're not really sure exactly where this conversation is going to go, but we're all looking forward to it. So thank you, everybody, for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. So, Brett, I know that you had some specific thoughts that you wanted to ask Jay and Father Deacon um, about these these uh, questions of entertainment, the theater, uh, art from an Orthodox perspective. If you want to start us out with some of those ideas. Sure. Yeah, I want this to be, you know, kind of a meta, dis uh, meta discussion that can go in a lot of different uh, directions. But one of the things that we're all asked a lot is, hey, you guys criticize the entertainment industry and it's really degenerate and it's really satanic, but uh, what's the path forward? And then I guess occasionally we get we get asked, like, what are some really positive films? And, and we, we can name a few. Um, I, I was listening to that History of Byzantium podcast. It's a secular podcast, an orthodox podcast. And I learned a little bit about some of the policies with regard to the theater in um, the early Byzantine Empire after the fall of the Roman Empire. And some of the early emperors banned, I guess, with the equivalent of what, like striptease sort of acts and some of the more lascivious, I mean, I guess the analog today would be like, you know, porn films and strip clubs and things like that. But they didn't really ban um, the tragedies and drama, uh, the, the tragedies and the comedies, even though essentially those were still arguably rituals to Dionysus and they had their roots <clears throat> in, the, in the classical theater which which were which was sacred uh, to Dionysus, but what seems to have happened is people had a great deal less interest um, in the theater. And one of my reads is that is that the kind of spiritual energy that had been invested in the theater was just in other places. And so one hypothesis is that in the future, like the entertainment industry, it would be it would be less 
important um, is is one thought. Another another thing I want to throw out there is <clears throat> uh, when I was listening to to Jay and Jamie's episode on the Balenciaga scandal. I mean, Jamie was mentioning the cremaster cycle of of Matthew Barney, and I had the misfortune of like watching some of that, and it's completely demonic. I mean, I felt like I was being invaded. I mean, I'm not joking. Like, I felt that night I was like being invaded by demons, and I and I really thought about why and what was going on. I mean, the, 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 it, what he's doing there is he's one of among other things is he's deconstructing narrative conventions, and it kind of occurred to me like one of the reasons that cinema in in whatever you want to call it what i think of is the is the classical uh, style including the kind of new hollywood aesthetic um conventions like it, it can only get so satanic as long as there's narrative and there's i think i'm, I'm thinking of uh, like jackie treehorn and and um big lebowski feelings and you know as long as there's like real um there's, there's a humanistic side of the theater and as long as there's narrative convention things there's kind of a floor maybe on on how satanic um, that, that it can get. And that's an argument for, hey, maybe, you know, cinema isn't isn't totally lost um, as an art form. So that's kind of the meta topic I wanted to throw out there and some of my opening thoughts. So <clears throat> lately, I think what I've been looking at that's most relevant to this question is iconography. And I think that the philosophy of iconography, why and what its purpose is, is that we understand it? It's it's a it's a different medium from literature. So it's a written text, just like a liter, literary work is a written text. And so a movie is the same type of thing, except it's, it's this unique thing that combines multiple forms of art, obviously beyond just the the visual. So if you've got music, you've got timing, you've got manipulation of time in in these kinds of things with with film, it makes it super unique. And it's very unfortunate because Jamie and I have had a lot of conversations where we talked about how powerful this medium would be if it was used in the orthodox way. And so <clears throat> uh, we were watching these interviews with um, starlets from the 19-teens and, and 20s that had worked with D.W. Griffith, and they were talking about how uh, revolutionary his ideas were. Nobody had ever thought to do a seven-hour movie. You know, he would try to construct these seven-hour uh, projects that told like three different movies within one giant story arc or so I don't know if they're all I haven't seen them all because there's they're different ones but but the idea that you could have a seven-hour movie that people would go and see that is just crazy but they, everybody's talking about how crazy it was that the whole a new art form had been created and so we know that you know whether it's orthodox theology or whether it's Aristotle talking about the difference between a natural object and an artificial object and artifice like all things that exist have inherent goodness. Objects are good necessarily by what they are, by being created by God who is the ultimate good, the uncreated being and uncreated good. So created being is good, and that would include the arts as well. Um, I think everybody here knows that. I, I'm not trying to ramble, but the main point is just that why would we not want to utilize this art like every other art? And I think about the fiction presentations of you know the, the rare versions of this that are that are orthodox you know the island or uh, you know the stories of uh, Alexander Nevsky or the stories of um, you know maybe even Dostoevsky's stories being put into film works uh, I think <clears throat> that Jesse Eisenberg movie was I think I think it was a, a Dostoevsky story wasn't it you know what I'm talking about which one the double, the double yeah. yeah so I think yeah, I think right. that I think we can take these kinds of things and you know I was reading notes from the underground and I was thinking how great of a film that would be um, 
I don't know about the, it'd be hard to do Brothers Karamazov in this movie, but, um, you know, Crime and Punishment, maybe, uh, that'd be hard too, but anyway, I'm rambling, the point is just that, why would we not want to use these with that same ideology that we have for iconography that we would, we, that we would use for film, uh, and that's the point, I think, of transforming the existing culture, right? Orthodoxy does have an enculturation aspect where we want to transform the, th the existing things that are good because nature is good. So I would actually argue that we have a better approach to enculturation and transforming the existing things than the Roman Catholics do. The Roman Catholics, for whatever reason, are just known for radical enculturation. I think the Orthodox approach would be better to that, and we see that in the rare instances of Orthodox art that does pop up out there. You know, I was thinking also about <clears throat> just even going back to Aristotle's poetics on <clears throat> excuse me, what good art actually is uh and obviously he's speaking about tragedy and um you know the playwright and stuff like this that transforms really well over to the notion of film and the idea is that that the ancients had was that art is good if it imitates nature and that doesn't just mean, <clears throat> well, there's a guy outside killing somebody and I'm just telling life in the ghetto how it is, right? Because nature, I mean, that's just kind of sensual, right? Like I'm just observing. But what Aristotle meant by nature is that there was these higher level realities. The moral sphere, for example. The intellectual sphere that's not sensual and you don't just see. So as far as how do you imitate something that's beyond the sensual? Well, you tell a story. You develop characters, right? Not as I see them sensually out there, but rather in their idealized state. Because this is where art and morality um, intersect is that morality saying, yeah, how ought he to be? And what's really nice about cinema is you can take these really developed, long stories and present all this information in such a condensed, short amount of time. And I think it goes to what Jay was saying too, that it's like the icon. And there's something even <clears throat> more natural about that. You know, Aristotle says, out of all the senses, we enjoy the sense of sight the most because it, can, it gives us the most information. And you think about like the icon that so much more can be communicated and in a natural way too, because there's a person there. It's not words. I mean, words are almost kind of twice removed from reality, right? But the, the first removed would simply be the person's face on the medium um, and how much in the image you can actually present as far as the information. Now, the trick is understanding like the idealized form about who is supposed to be the virtuous character and how do we represent that or something like this. Um, and I think orthodoxy has wonderful stories and the use of iconography too that could be brought into film 
Um, and this is a kind of therapia, right? So again, like Jay was saying, you have unholy images and icons and holy ones. So everything that exists is good. It's how those energies are being misdirected from the way that they are supposed to be. And here's the moral aspect. And so the same with stories. That's not how one ought to be. And so I think we have a really great opportunity, but at the same time, I mean, this stuff can be appropriated for evil. And all of the, you know, the ancients understood that the theater was a therapy, therapia. We talked about kind of catharsis and stuff like that, but a therapy for what? Um, it's rehabilitating you. It's changing. I think what you're saying when you see something, it's changing you. Right. Um, and that's really scary too, to think about not just accidentally getting wrong, but purposely actually putting unholy images in, but there is a very religious element, right? It's ceremonial. I'm participating in, there's a therapeutic notion and I'm going through some sort of change involved in the play or the film. Anyways, go ahead. Not a, yeah, just real quick. That made me think of that icon documentary. I'm sure everybody's seen. It's kind of a, a, an introduction that a lot of people have to orthodoxy, that three-hour icon documentary. Mm -hmm. One of the great points they make is that modern culture is a product of iconoclasm by Islam, by a Protestantism, Calvinism, all that stuff, especially in the modern West, America coming out of the Protestant ethos. It's fundamentally iconoclastic, which means that Madison Avenue Hollywood replaced iconography that would have been religious in the in the you know medieval world, Byzantine world. So it's the new iconography. <clears throat> but man isn't iconoclastic in nature. He's iconodual by nature. So they just have a new set of icons. And now we only get these rare glimpses where the public discourse of art and imagery and iconography is what dominates. And every now and then there's a little bit of inkling of pointing to something virtuous or something orthodox. It should be the other way around to where the, the dominant iconography and imagery of a society is the orthodox iconography and imagery. And then the public non-church area that has its art, it points to that. It's like it's just reversed, right? Like, you see what I'm saying? Like, public discourse, public art, art shows, all this kind of stuff. I have so many friends that are in the art world, so many friends that went and got art degrees and they had to do their senior projects. And it's like everybody's senior projects or, or uh, master's projects in, in art, Vanderbilt, wherever, it's just all just the most unbelievably demonic stuff, right? So it's all flipped. It's all inverted. But if it was right, it seems to me that you would have a lot of public art that deals with the things of the world. Nothing wrong with that. But it would it would have the virtues. It would have... What even Aquinas has a really good theory of art, which I don't think is, is in contrast to art theory. I think he's probably pulling from, from Aristotle's, right? He talks about good art is objective and it has to have symmetry, harmony, synthesis, beauty. Like that's what beauty is, is the proportionality, all of those things working in commonality. That was, he's speaking mainly of visual arts, right? Obviously, you, but it would apply to plays too, right? Where you have a story that isn't intentionally uh, anti meaning, isn't intentionally postmodern, isn't intentionally destructive. It would have it has to have a certain structure, but I I think that you could even argue that the way you view time and space and reality, if you don't believe, for example, that 
history has a beginning, a middle, and end. Wouldn't you tend towards stories that are not structured in a in a three-tiered <clears> way, <throat> beginning, middle, and end, or that, that have purpose, that have telos? Mm -hmm. So philosophy comes into storytelling, and that's why so many movies nowadays are terrible, is because the people making them, they don't have a worldview that believes that there is meaning. I mean, you have to have beginning, middle, and end. Those are presuppositional structures for reality, not just for storytelling, but for sentences, for meaning, for for communication. There's a great article by, or essay by Alistair McIntyre, the, the famous uh, classicist philosopher guy, uh, and he has an essay about how all meaningful discourse necessarily has a beginning, middle, end structure, even if it's something mundane like. I'm going to the potty, right? Uh, there's a big, there's I, right? You, and you're, you're telling this story. And there's an end to the communication act. So everything has that structure to it. And if you try to go against time and space, <laughs> you know what I mean? Which I'm not saying you can't play with time in editing. And well, that's what, well, you know, the, you know, the Godard quote, right? What? About this. It said every, every movie must have a beginning, a middle and an end, but not necessarily in that yeah, order. Well, exactly. yeah. yeah. So I'm just rambling, but to make that point. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. So since we've been thinking some about uh, the opportunity that cinema affords, that from this orthodox perspective, we can really uh, reclaim this medium, at least in theory. I mean, I want to bring a little bit of pessimism into that by thinking that with just the decadence and evil of Hollywood that all of us have talked about publicly many times, uh, and even with its direction towards these, um, these particularly occult and transhumanist ideologies that are just so, so destructive and anti-human, that it's not just that... A certain set of bad people ended up making movies and now we just need to have good orthodox people make movies instead that's that's somewhat true but i want to suggest that there's something inherent to the medium uh, of filmmaking so this approach to art that doesn't render it irredeemable but does exacerbate the pre-existing dangerous tendencies of art and imagination and i think you know, as orthodox we have a pretty good account within our tradition of just how dangerous imagination can be can carry us away from god-given reality can lead us into all kinds of delusions. And I don't think that I, of course, that either technology or imagination are themselves always dangerous, but they have dangers to them. And that gets increased the more and more you bring these things together. That I think that with both these things, with imagination and with technology, there's, a, there's often an attempt historically to collapse the creator and create a distinction to turn the human into God either through, uh, through, through meaning or through technological means. And often you see these things brought together in the transhumanist narrative, whether through fiction, through a lot of the evil science fiction narratives uh, that we see and have analyzed, or through you know, the real-life equivalents of those, uh, you know, like the, whether it's H.G. Wells in the past or uh, Yuval Harari now. Uh, you see this coming together of, um, uh, of um, the reworking of meaning and the reworking of technology to create these human-as-God narratives. And I think that Hollywood and filmmaking lends itself to that naturally just because of the way that this use of technology to tell stories in this particular manner is this almost this open invitation to let the boundary between reality and fiction fade. There's some really good stuff in Jason Horsley's book, uh, 16 Maps of Hell, uh, a book that I quote often on this show where he talks about um, the, the dreamlike nature of film makes it easy for us to imagine that, well, I made this when you're watching a movie. This is my dream. You implicitly imagine yourself as the filmmaker and sometimes as the film star. The, the fetishization of fame and celebrity, this worship of the other as a way to worship yourself, is just so amplified 
uh, in movies in a way that it's not necessarily by earlier artistic mediums. And so I guess I just want to put out there that I don't disagree with anything that's been said, and I would love to see a culture that's much healthier around art and imagination flourishing and orthodoxy to be a big part of that. But I guess I just want to say that uh, these negative aspects, these even satanic aspects of pop culture and just the, the decadence of Hollywood culture around celebrity and all these things, it's not a coincidence that they're centered around the medium of film. There's something very dangerous to the medium. Yeah, let me comment on it because that'll bring us to the question about whether, I mean, I've suggested that there's kind of a floor to just how demonic and evil cinema can be as long as there's aesthetic standards and narrative conventions. Um uh, to it, but right, you, you raise this problem. Is, it, is there something about the medium, though, that is right inherently tends against um, orthodoxy? But I, I also want to come back to what Jay was saying. So, or I want to put my own terminology on it, I guess. So, um, all of this uh, inversion and all of the use of these, like, sort of deliberately and unholy symbols, and some, I mean, there's so many people, Madonna, because they just make their career on this stuff. It's just, a, it's just a formula. And what it's doing is an attack on the image of, of God, but what people and there's, I mean, we're, I mean, I'm spiritually ignorant, but I mean, when people in their spiritual ignorance, their own spiritual ignorance don't recognize is that they're made in the image of God. And so these attacks on the image of God, because these are, they're not just like saying, these aren't just the same attacks of like a skeptic or an unreligious person. They're taking religious imagery and making it into something diabolical. And evil, and that's an attack on the human soul. That's an attack on the viewer. That's a motif we see over and over in Hollywood. They know they're attacking the viewer. They know they're attacking your eye. You know, Jay and I, after the last year, we were talking briefly about uh, Peeping Tom, which is one of those early films that really dramatizes that idea that cinema is a form of psychic attack. Um, but I, I just wanted to say, I don't know if I've ever said this on our show before, but like one of the things that really, um, one of the things that really brought me around to this was I was. Um. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I mean, I was on a bunch of psilocybin mushrooms and I walked into a movie theater and I saw the trailer for X-Men Apocalypse. And this evil character was declaring himself to be all the gods. And um, I mean, I can't possibly describe the experience exactly, but it spiritually sickened me, you know, for, for a long period of time, partially because I was so disoriented. I didn't know what this was doing to me, but it was an attack on my soul you know, when it was an attack on the image of God. Now, Jay, you suggested... Father Deaconess, well, that there's a possibility that art can help restore, you know, the image of God. And I think there's some truth to that as well. You know? I think that, so, you know, we had the, the blessing, amazingly, to do uh, 
an interview, and we, we intend to do an analysis of every one of the Tarkovsky films. When <clears throat> Andre's son, who's a friend of my uh, priest, we, we interviewed him, and he was saying that that was what Andre Sr.'s goal was, was to make film into something that promoted orthodoxy in a subtle way, because he couldn't do it overtly with the KGB Soviet, like, coming down on him. So he had to do it in a very subtle way. So he had to, he had to pull from everything that he could find, like natural virtues that weren't mm -hmm. you know, overtly orthodox to, to put into all these films. But he said that, you know, Rublev was, one that was the one that was supposed to be the most kind of overtly orthodox. Um, and so I think that's an example of that attempt to, to make film therapeutic. I don't believe that Andre had all the right theology, but he was at least going in the right direction. That was, that was his intention, was to make film Orthodox and therapeutic in that way. So there are examples of it, and he's he's one of them. Um, but I do understand your point that like it's so it's like what's the stupid Peter Parker line like with with great with great power comes great responsibility, right? <laughs> I mean, isn't that, I mean it's like it's like a big magic stick. Like Hollywood is like a big magic wand. I know that's an overused uh, imagery, but it is. And so if we're gonna, it's like, but I mean, so are the cell phones, right? I mean, the cell phones are like amazing pieces, but it's also probably gonna destroy the world. So what were you, I'm sorry. You, you uh, well, the movie Aliens, Ridley Scott, the director actually said that uh, this was a purposeful psychic attack on you and that he wanted the audience to feel like they had been raped. Yeah. And he wanted men to cross their legs in um, discomfort because of the imagery from the art of H.R. Geiger, who was the Alistair Crowley. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, forgot about that. It's all a very, uh, what is the Avon say, homoerotic, right? I didn't even, I never even realized that Alien was supposed to be. It didn't that. Danzig use H.G. Geiger too, for some. Uh, probably, thing. probably. Yeah, and I mean, I think that that um, talking about um, about Geiger just like really, really brings home the the dangers of technology theme because so much of Geiger's art um, is uh, it's it's yeah it's inspired by Crowley and all these other people, but it is this particularly uh, erotic depiction of the the blend of human flesh with technology it, you know is part of that and yeah. uh, I think that that is really like this uh, this nightmare scenario that we could be headed for uh, if we don't find a way to uh, to, mm. to you know put a strong check on the potential of these mediums uh, mm. or, or, or devices probably cell phones mm. even more so than film remember the Hayes code right I mean we were been watching all these pre loss of Hayes code movies. And it's wild how different it is. I mean, it's just unbelievable. We've been, we've been watching, I don't know how many, probably in the last six months, we probably watched, watched 30 or 40 Hays Code era films. And it's just insane how different it becomes after about the 60s. Like, mm -hmm. it's just night and day, like, flips. It's crazy. Yeah, they were yeah they were on their way to a, a premature new Hollywood if it weren't for the Hays Code. Did you ever see the black, <clears throat> excuse me, the Black Cat from 1934. I've heard of this. I've not seen it. That's a pre-code pre movie that you absolutely must see. I think it might it might be like the first explicit mention of yep. Satanism, and it's, it's explicitly yep. connected to mind control and war trauma. And well, it, we went and watched several of the German Expressionist films, and we watched Babylon, too, because Babylon is essentially what we're talking about in film form. I mean, it's the history of Hollywood as a... And the director even said, what did he say, that it's supposed to be a letter, like a rebuke to how, how do you it phrase it? It was a poison pen to the industry a and a love letter to the art form. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not recommending uh, Babylon from like, it's not a virtuous movie, but it's an instructive movie because it's basically making y'all's point. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet, but I certainly plan to. But uh, talking about that and saying how, the ways that you wouldn't want to recommend it, 
um, brings to mind, I guess, another question, which is, um, I guess, where do you, Jay, I'm curious about this for you personally, where do you draw your lines and what kind of movies you'll watch for research purposes? Because I think about this all the time. I bet Brett does as well, where, I'm just, where I think, okay, part of my task is, uh, is I, I want to watch this stuff so other people don't have to, so I can analyze it and give them the importance of it. And sometimes when I'm doing research and still watching stuff, I'm like, what am I doing? We turn, we turn off a lot of movies. I mean, anytime that, uh, like, I've got, as I've gotten older, I've gotten very weak when it comes to seeing violence. Uh, I get this weird weakness in my legs that goes up my, it goes all the way up my legs to my butt. I'm not joking, like a weakness in my legs when I see something violent on film. So I typically have to turn away and I've never been that way before. It's like once I hit, I don't know, age 40 or becoming orthodox. I don't when know. It's I don't, yeah, that's when it like starts. Like you can't, like, but it didn't used to bother me. I could watch like a, you know, Braveheart and everybody getting their heads cut off. I'm just like, Ugh. And then now it's like, whoa, you know, it's hard to watch it. And so we, we actually turn off movies quite a bit, especially nowadays, given that movies are getting <clears> crazier and crazier, like with what's in the movie. So um, we typically steer away from anything that's going to be like just overtly just pure, you know, gross, gore, blood stuff. And you, you never know what you're getting you into. You never know what you're getting into. That's yeah. the problem. Um, my wife's always like, what are you watching? I'm like, I have no idea. Like, I mean, the descriptions kind of sounded like it was going to be interesting. Right. And uh, this is totally pornographic or demonic. And So, yeah, case by case basis. Mm -hmm. like, a lot, and a lot of times we turn stuff off. Like, we just, just too gross. Like, like we turned off ron swanson being skittles i don't want to see skittles ron swanson in this last, <laughs> last of us show, yeah. right right and father deacon uh since since you're clergy i want to ask you this question in particular but what what is your sense of what kind of content is permissible to have in your entertainment especially for people who aren't watching these things for research at all like brett and i or, or jay might be doing but who they just want you know, fiction to unwind uh, obviously everyone draws a line somewhere and I think all of us probably, you know, through our Orthodox journeys, we find that like that that line moves. We're uh, we're more and more sensitive in a good way to this objectionable content, whether it's blasphemous, anti-human, anti-God, anti-nature worldviews, or just depictions of sex or violence or profanity or whatever. So, do you have any guidelines or heuristics that you would use to tell people how to separate out what's permissible for entertainment? It's yeah, it's going to be different for each person, given what their vices and virtues are. Um, I mean, the, the best way is to, you know, be speaking with your priest about, you know, look, I like to watch films. Um, you know my vices, you know. I mean, there's some kind of boundaries. You know, when I do come across something, should I shut up? When should I shut up? I mean, you should be having that sort of kind of conversation because you're not going to be the person by yourself who's going to be able to identify, well, I'm strong enough for, and I can deal with this. And, um, you need to get a kind of objective kind of perspective. And I was thinking too, you spoke about just the medium is neutral, but with each thing comes its own kind of temptations. Right. And, Again, uh, Augustine says the best things corrupted become the worst. And it really is unholy images. And there's so many parallels. If you look at the icon, you have both uh, seen and unseen. There's stuff that's hidden in the... And 
part of that's supposed to be that way so that there it begins to change you is as more that you engage in the ceremony um and ritual of venerating the icon you begin to see stuff that you you didn't um or you be, it changes you without you even knowing and that often happens in orthodox you know i was just thinking about this i mean there's so much hidden stuff and it doesn't even have to be that the the artist is purposely doing this in fact artists are really interesting often they don't know what they're doing um they're they're uh almost like a, a medium just like the oracle of delphi right they're they have some type of unique character <clears throat> in which they're able to be a mirror of nature and reflect back the society and these kinds of truths. But if you often ask an artist or a musician to explain their work, it's retarded. Like, it's just like, stop, <laughs> just do the movie and act, you know, like, because they really don't know what's going on. So I find that that's really interesting that, and, and Jay had talked about this too. It should be that, all the cinema is orthodox and then you have the spec uh, secular sphere but the reason why it's not is because it's an emergent phenomenon you know hegel talked about one of the best ways to kind of understand the the philosophy and spirit of the age is through the arts it comes again if that's a sort of kind of medium itself that lends to i don't have to do a philosophical analysis um or you know write up a a scientific paper to explain these things because I'm the medium. It's, and it's I demonic. It, it, it is. It's a type of possession. If you yeah. look at yeah, today's <clears throat> art, the majority of the of the what's out there, and again, like going back to when I would go to my friend's senior thesis shows, or my ex girlfriend's older sister who was doing her uh, masters at Vanderbilt in art, and you would go to these shows, and it's all about. The, the, her show is about abortion and women's wombs. And it's a giant womb that you walk into, and it's and the inside of the womb is all nails inside this big walk-in womb. And that was, oh, it's art. But it's all about how women are being persecuted because they can't have abortions. So it's like the art, and if you look at today's art and art shows, I mean, it's, it's like a large portion of them actually have the demonic in the yes. art. And I don't think that's accidental. Yeah, so to put the deacon's point, that's Plato's ion, right? Plato diagnosed yeah. the divine madness of, yes, of the exactly. of the yeah. artist um, long ago. On the other hand, so that that's true. Like, let, let's call it the true artist, as Plato has properly um, conceived him as an art, which I think is basically what we think of as the true artist today and the true auteur, um, right? He is uh, a medium um, as much as he is uh, an architect. But at the same time, I think a lot of these answers they give that seem dumb are because they're being coy. Like, I, I'm thinking of the uh, Bring Me the Horizon. Who's the Bring Me the Horizon? Oh, like, oh yes. Like, it's about having a, it's completely satanic. It's about having a bad day. It's just like, yeah. Um, the other thing is that, though, like, so, uh, right. So a really good way to kind of gauge the zeitgeist is to, to look at, at the art but that is also because art creates the zeitgeist. And I mean, um, 
I mean, but how long, right, has it become kind of a, a science to engineer the zeitgeist? You know, through art, certainly the Soviets, right, and others, that's what they were trying mm -hmm. more or less successfully to do. It happens in the West more covertly and more effectively. That's what our show is devoted to, yep. cult cultural engineering. So at what point is there like a phase change in art where the divine madness can be directed? Um, right. So that's, you know, that's another question. We were just looking at what was it, Goya paintings that uh, came up in certain movies that we had watched. And he's considered the first of modern, uh, modern painting. And he what's up, what's weird is that I didn't realize because he was popping up in a bunch of movies that we were watching sort of randomly. Like there's this if you watch Danny Boyle's Trance, which is about mind control and handlers and, you know, putting people into trance states to use them for criminal operations and whatnot. But this boy, Goya paintings kept coming up. Remember that? And it's like not just Saturn eating the kid or eating its young, but he, he has the witch's Sabbath and all of these uh, occult demonic themes in his paintings and it's interesting that he's like the father he's the bridge point between classical styles <coughs> and like modern <coughs> painting but it's demonic like throughout a lot of his paintings i like what you had to say too with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You can hide and mask these things because of the fluid nature of, of art and cinema itself that it's very easy to somebody says well you're giving this message well that's really easy in a philosophical paper it's right there um because of the structure but in art can't you just say well no no it was it wasn't about satan it was about having a bad day right. it was um i mean it's because it's involved in the interpersonal subjective kind of experience and it's not as rigid given the kind of uh, the medium that it is. It's the um, immunity of the artist. You can, yeah. And so you see this going on with the Grammys right now, people's response. I mean, clearly yeah. anybody that has acquired at least a little bit of virtue will notice like this is blatantly satanic. Oh, they're just plain. It's just shock value, right? And I was thinking that that's a really easy way using that medium because to, to hide what you're hide actually what you're doing. doing. And again, you have this theme that comes up seen and unseen. And there is a kind of a hypnotism too that, that in one sense, it's very clear what we're seeing. And then why is another group not seeing it? And I remember this came up maybe about five or six years ago. We went to take, my friend loved uh, Billy Corgan and Smashing Pumpkins. I never was that into. So we decided to get him tickets. I was like world's biggest Smashing Pumpkins really? fan. Really? You did? Yeah. <laughs> no, I listened to gangster rap growing, which okay. was the, 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 the <laughs> just joke. I listened to a lot of stuff, but I didn't really get into this. Yeah, like smashing pumpkins that much but my friend that i grew up with who's now orthodox he he wanted to so we're all orthodox so the the sister 
the brother-in-law and my wife, we all went. Now my wife says, I don't want to go to that satanic conference. It was the first thing, uh, concert. And I'm like, oh, come on, you're overreacting, right? I mean, Smashing Pumpkins, Satanist. Was this during his satanic phase? He had this very, like... He was wearing 666 yeah. shirts. That was yeah. that was from the um, uh, Siamese Dream era. Yeah. And okay. he was well, wearing... Well, this yeah. happened, I'm telling you, five years ago. It wasn't even that oh, long not ago. that long ago. Well, I thought he... I'm sorry, I don't mean there, but I thought yeah. he, like, became a Christian or was a Christian. Anyway, we'll, we'll revisit See, it. But on. You can just be like, well, actually, it wasn't Satan. It's a, it's a Christian. I was given a Christian message. I was reenacting... Well, he's mixing these images, actually speaking of. So we go to the, the concert and they start having all this kind of like clearly demonic stuff that they're bringing out, like uh, sculptures of demons and stuff like that. And then they they have uh, constructed um, and then they had pictures of him going through his childhood and they kept writing 666 on that. They were flashing and everybody's just like, yeah. And my friend and I were with us. I'm like, did you just see that? Am I, am I hallucinating? Are they pumping oh. gas in through the, and I'm hallucinating? I'm like, this is getting more and more wild. And blatantly, obviously, over the top satanic. So the last one was they constructed a virgin Guadalupe, right? Thing that they like, um, almost like a sedan chair that they started carrying around um, the procession. And they replaced the Virgin Guadalupe with Billy. And people were literally worshiping and kissing and venerating. And oh. I'm like, I, I'm like, that's incredible. Okay, I'm like, I, I gotta leave. <laughs> okay, I got I gotta insert something else in here. So like two things that seem uh Satan sauce with Billy going back to the nice. I was wondering like wearing the black shirt with the yeah. red six six six, and I don't know what that means, that an artistic statement. Um, the other thing is that Billy, like a lot of I'm thinking of like Stacy Hoon of um uh, Blind Melon and a bunch of the, um, you know, the, the the big sort of frontmen in alternative rock would, for like no apparent reason, they got wearing a dress. And this isn't when they no, were, I, yeah, yeah I, and it was I just seemed like Blind Melon, yeah, you're right, yeah, yeah, and it wasn't it wasn't really pushed as having a political message or anything. It was just pushed as oh, it's edgy or something. But they yeah, were all doing right. it, so clearly it was like the record execs or somebody, right? We're putting them all up to yeah, doing that. Where yeah. there you have Billy doing this, right? This this uh, gender inversion sort of thing too. Indirect scene was doing that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they were doing it. And there was just never really any explanation for it. And it kind of made... Because some of these people had a very masculine image, mm -hmm. too. It wasn't like today. Some of them had a very masculine image. So, like, fans were kind of like, okay, I'm going to forget I well, saw did that. Did the drummer a fish? He always wore a, a dress or something? Yeah, like all that. these. So, like, uh, Meat Puppets would always perform in dresses. Nirvana, Kurt Cobain would yeah. wear dresses. Um, Sunny Day Real Estate, I think, would wear dresses. These are all, like, you know, the cool underground... The grunge bands and we we did some podcasts years back with john adams and john's a super duper good musician and he was in the punk scene for a long time and toured with a lot of bands and he was going into a lot of detail about there is religious engineering in the punk scene as well i'm sure you guys know about that but but i think that you're right that that there could be more to why people would be doing this beyond just oh let's be edgy like probably is cultural engineering because like everything that's going on now you see at the grammys of with you know, the biggest stars coming out, guys wearing dresses, like it was edgy in the punk scene and the grunge scene, you know, in the 80s and 90s. So Billy, when Smashing Pumpkins broke up, the real Smashing Pumpkins broke up in 2000. And then Billy went on to Zwan, if you might remember, and they put out what I thought was a pretty good album called Mary Star of the Sea. And there's a oh lot of God. stuff in that that seems 
more than vaguely Christian, hmm. right? Um, the Declarations of Faith song, for example. And I, I really, my memory might be failing me. It's been a while since I was a Pumpkins fanboy, but um, I, I thought that he alluded to being a Christian so, well, at one I time. Remember, and, uh, in two, probably 2010, uh, Alex had him in studio for a big, long in studio interview with Billy. Yeah, yeah. and they they. He sort of danced around the edges, as, hinting like he might be in that direction. He never outright said, oh, I'm a Christian. But he would say these things like, you know, I've been leaning more towards uh, libertarian ideas. Yeah, I remember this. that. And he was talking about Ayn Rand. And not that Ayn Rand would make you a Christian, obviously. But he just seemed to be going in, <laughs> he seemed to be going in that direction of hinting like he was interested in, in Jesus and this kind of stuff. You know who this reminds me of? Um, and I forget. I think Father Ewing and I were talking about it. My wife... And I were talking about uh, John Lennon. What an interesting character he is. So if you know um, anything about him, he actually got interested in evangelical charismatic Christianity. Hmm. And Yoko was like really against to try to kind of cover that up. Well, Yoko was his handler. Go ahead. Was, <laughs> yeah. was, was just going to say. And, you know, both my... Before I left, my wife and I were just talking about like what stupid and insane lyrics and just if it was ever actualized, it would be the worst thing in the world. Um, the lyrics of Imagine. And I'm like, I'm, I just had the feeling I'm like, I, I don't think that's coming from his mind. Um, this is it's coming from yeah. so he's, be, he's, he's being handled. I heard, I heard an interesting take that that's not that's against the revolution i never even thought about that but there's a couple lines i'm not saying this is true but somebody was making the argument that if you read the lyrics he's actually saying that this is what you think you're going to get but oh, uh because he references mal and how the revolution was destructive and didn't bring and i say that because because i've always been wondering about why would he if he was for that, why would he have those statements against Malthusianism before they killed him? You know what I mean? Right. So he might have right. been, I mean, he might have written that when he was like believer in communism and then he's, you know, maybe he starts to doubt it. Well, out. so an another way, and I, I don't know the answer to this, but another way, I mean, think about the Rolling Stones. You can't always get what you want. And, you know, Crosby, Stills and Nash teacher. See, some of these songs are actually encoding what you might call the long psyop of the counterculture like it wasn't going to happen then but it was going to be transmitted right. and, and it was yeah. going to go on and i mean this is where we are this is where we are now it's been the the um you know it wasn't a five-year plan it was more of the 50 100 uh, year yeah. plan or, or something By the way, bob dylan another guy right who who yeah. dabbled and more than dabbled in, in christianity and yeah. evangelical christianity and then seemed to go back to an occult worldview and then nobody can figure out you know what's going on at bob yeah. at some point i think probably a lot of the the stars that become at some point interested in christianity they probably are exposed to really bad versions <laughs> you know what i mean they're like is non-denominational guberism actually mm. any better than what I'm already doing? You know what I mean? Was it Marilyn Manson and Kanye West just leading a that was so giant prayer group? With Bieber. Yeah. Yeah. Went in with Bieber. Yeah, I mean, it's really hard to say what's going on with those guys. I mean, there's a, there's a lot that I like about Kanye, but seeing him with Manson in any context, you know, just that 
I mean, I Manson is just such a scumbag, and just the obviously don't even have to like, do any decoding to the secret. You know, satanic message of his lyrics is is pretty plain, and though though there are some even uh, things there that are worse than Meet the Eye immediately. But yeah, I mean, with Kanye and like also Kanye like wearing a like, cradle of filth. Uh, t-shirts and stuff like that which is like a straight up like order of nine angles worshiping like extreme metal gothic uh band and stuff <laughs> like that but <laughs> oh machine gun kelly and megan fox there's the other yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. B, I'm, I just, the Biebs thing is really, because I mean, Biebs did the, you know, Where Are You Now video with all the pseudo subliminal satanic well, imagery and connected and... with uh, Hillsong, right? Which has been, you know what I'm talking about? No. Oh, so you're right, I Bieber forgot about you. attends church at one of the Hillsong outlets and that's a giant evangelical praise and worship sort of thing Skittles. which the, the minister <laughs> has been caught I don't remember the name guy's name I think Hillsong comes out of Australia and the guy who is the big megachurch evangelical guy was embroiled in some sort of sex scandal trafficking thing so there's something I'm not saying Bieber is guilty I'm just saying that that's the ethos of Hillsong and there's a YouTube video, Bieber opens up about his fear of satan. I don't know if that's just clickbait, but there's a lot of a confusion out there about Bieber, I guess. So take a look at the Hillsong, uh, Hillsong pastor, comma, uh, arrested, comma, scandal. There's comma. a documentary there is? about okay. it. Okay. They put out, it was there. I think it was hushed up because it had ads for a hot second and then zilch about it anywhere. So Fritz Springmeier just is emphatic that many of the mega churches are just part of the monarch oh, cult. Well, yeah. that I'm, I mean, that's possible. But what I have confirmed in my research is that a lot, and you can easily find this by just looking up all the mega church pastor scandals. They are money laundering operations, and they're CIA operations. Yeah, that's right. And that's why China banned them. For, yeah, for and to... possibly to that. But um, Hillsong is interesting because it, it seems to have. It's sort of like the evangelical version of Scientology. Hillsong has this weird uh, inner Hollywood connection where whoever the Hollywood evangelicals are, they go that to that. Would it be funny to find out it was like actually just an axiom? <laughs> uh, they're the same. It's the same creature. He's wearing it like a different, like he's on a fake beard. Thinking about Hillsong makes me think about Christian pop culture in general. And we mentioned earlier uh, a couple of like Orthodox movies that are actually quite excellent and very, very redemptive and positive uses of the medium, um, but then I guess uh, I'm interested in all of your thoughts about the enterprise of Christian filmmaking when it's coming from a more evangelical perspective. Like, obviously these are bad movies, everyone knows that, but is there anything else to say there? Like, how sympathetic or unsympathetic are you to the whole God's not dead <laughs> approach to reclaiming Pure flicks, right? Right, Pure right. flicks. Yeah, or the, you yeah. know, the, um, uh, the Left Behind movies from, like, with Kirk Cameron and stuff like that. Yeah, what do you I, thought the best, the I thought the best... Kind of out of that drama that they did was Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Veggie Tales. <laughs> like, I would accept that level. <laughs> right. Um, but God's Not Dead, that kind of stuff. That's... Sure, Jonah, VeggieTales movie actually holds up pretty well, even though the uh, the creator of VeggieTales is, is going the Skittles route himself at this point, which is, yeah, you hate to see it. Oh, man. But cartoon, um, by the way, that's another medium we should, we should you know, uh, within film that we should talk about. So when I was in Russia, and, I mean, it's, it's like, orthodox all over the tv so even on the news they like have some you know they're doing the weather like uh now to you father like you know, he's like talking i'm like this is so crazy you would never see it's just, you know and that doesn't mean that everybody's you know going to church or something like that but it's so saturated and one thing that i really liked is they had all these awesome orthodox kids cartoons and they weren't you know the the graphics wasn't that great. They could work on, but the messages were incredible. Now, obviously, anime and orthodoxy don't mix, so we've got to get rid of that. But yeah. like, we go back to the kind of classic, you know, cartoons. That's I think that's a great, especially for the youth, and that's where it starts, right? This is where they're going to get trained in kind of cinema and stuff. So I think it's a great place to. It's so easy. To be able to give an orthodox message in, in that. Right. And it's interesting to think about cartoons in general as a, a possible vector for uh, for positive uses of uh, filmmaking and some similar art forms just because of uh, how corrupted that is as well. Just just with Disney, right? You know, just thinking about these archetypal ideas of oh, creating dreams for children and, and, <clears throat> and all of that. But just even stretching far back to the early influence of Disney on animation, you know, that's just that's absolutely like a satanic global media empire. Um, a couple, I uh, just, some, so you're mentioning earlier, I wrote that, so like the idea of Griffith, the idea of like making seven hour movies. And of course, Griffith, uh, made, you know, arguably the first feature film, uh, birth of a nation, although it was, it's Kabiria is probably really the first one, but you know, do you know Eric von Stroheim's greed, right? 1924. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know about this. So this is when MG, so what happened was this is when Mayer, I believe, took over MGM and he, he was, he was actually trying to film the novel Greed, like scene by scene. And it, most of it's been lost, but the, the, the rumors that it was like nine hours long, oh, wow. people who saw it said it was the greatest movie ever made. Uh, it got, I don't know what it got cut to like three hours uh, or something after <laughs> MGM took over. Um, but yeah, there was a time when, but then they did, you know, people aren't going to sit in the movie theater for seven hours, but they yeah. started doing serials. Right. You know, at, at that time, um, I know on the, the shock thing. So people who they see this stuff, this is what's this is why it's hard to get people past the shock. So they see it. Yes, it's shocking, but it's just shock. They see shock as a technique, but they don't understand it because they're shocked. And shock is trauma. Shock mm -hmm. is mass trauma. It's not the high intensity trauma you have if you have a, like a really traumatic experience personally, but it, it's a low intensity a version of that. And the reason that you're shocked is because people who are shocked become suggestible, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. they, yeah. they become reprogrammable. That's right. the point of, of, the you know, of the shock, but it's hard to get people past that to that understanding for a bunch of reasons. I mean, it's, it's hard to get people to understand that anyone would want to do this to them, right? That anyone would want to deliberately traumatize them to change, uh, you know, their attitudes um, 
uh, and their values. Another subject we've just touched on briefly, uh, subliminal, actual subliminal images in film. This is something that we rarely talk about. Anybody rarely talks about, but I sort of, um, you know, it's hinted at in Fight Club, right, with the pseudo-subliminal right. uh, imagery. And in that case, uh, David Fincher was inspired um, by uh, Subliminal Seduction, this book, which also was a big inspiration on Stanley Kubrick um, in, in the late 70s. That was when, um, what was it, Brian Scott Key, I think it was, he was a, I don't know, Columbia, Princeton. Uh, some... Kubrick's always putting stuff in. Well, the and, and, and don't forget that, uh, you know, The Exorcist has that, fl- that frame too. And in the case, you know what I'm talking about? In the case of, uh, he was, he did psyops in Vietnam what for frame? the CIA. In the Exorcist, there's a frame where it flashes a demonic face. It's like, if you were at the time, you wouldn't it's, notice it. But you, when you watch the movie nowadays, it's really easy so to see. So this was the first film that did that. I believe mm-hmm. it's called The Screaming I've seen Skull. That. It's a Mystery Science Theater episode they do. Yeah, it's. I think it's even yeah. in the Wikipedia here, something about, they mentioned the, um, uh, yeah, they mentioned the subliminal image that was inserted into it. I mean, I came across I'm doing this stuff on on Richard Rush, this this really important new Hollywood figure that Kubrick also uh, actually admired. But in his movie, The Stuntman, which we should definitely cover, he in the commentary track, he just Rush just like died last year. Recorded the commentary a few years ago, and he he says in this in this particular scene that he inserted subliminal images. I've never told anybody this before, but I inserted subliminal images, and. Uh, the context there is very important. I don't. I don't want to set it all up, but it involves like threatening this. The stuntman thinks the stuntman who's on the run from the cops, and like you could kill him, and nobody would know about it. He thinks that the director might kill him, mm. and then they're actually showing him a video of the underwater, and he, and it's like, are they are they like telling me they're gonna kill me? And then Rush and I inserted subliminal images there in that scene. And by the way, Vic Mag uh, Vic Magnota, who. Um, uh, was a stuntman who consulted on tactics. He was a special forces guy that um, Scorsese met at NYU, went on to special forces in Vietnam. He's the one that came up for the mo- with the Mohawk idea uh, for Taxi Driver. Right. And he, he plays the Travis sec- Bickle. Yeah, yeah, and he plays the Secret Service guy in that movie. He died on the movie The Squeeze with the, when the car crashes into the water. Pay yeah. attention. They always crash cars into the water. It's something that they do. It's a ritual. It's a ritual <laughs> thing, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Have you seen that? This essay, the classic essay. No, send me. I haven't seen yeah, that essay. It's really cool, really interesting because it, it when Blatty was uh, <clears throat> says after graduating from Georgetown University, Blatty worked for the CIA in Lebanon in the 1950s under the U.S. Information Agency cover. Later, he went on to become get this policy branch chief of psychological warfare in Vietnam. And it's it's all the psychological warfare yep. stuff runs through Beirut. You know, that's what that's what we found. And, you know? But the reason that The Exorcist has that flash uh-huh. is because I think that that was a movie made in consultation because they wanted to test out this notion mm-hmm. of not just um, reinvigorating people's fear of the demonic for the Cold War because they were afraid of the atheists. You know, it's, it's, it's I'm not saying it's not demonic, but I'm saying that the idea was we need to scare people with the demonic so that they don't become Soviet atheists. That's the reasoning behind this process. But there's more to it than that, which is what you're talking about, which is the intentional subliminal uh, experimentation that's going on, even in films like The Exorcist. Which, what I'm saying is that it's not just people playing around with subliminals. In this case, I think this, to me, says that The Exorcist subliminal is actually a CIA intentional thing. Do you remember the sequel to Exorcist, Exorcist 2? She is in like yep. a uh, mind control she, and monarch facility and with the doctor and everything. It's right. autism. Yeah. Way before anybody knew about autism, 
the mind control uh, uh, secret uh, program is studying autism. It's the prelude to Stranger Things. Which is obviously. Yeah. And what about Exorcist? Yeah. What about Exorcist Three, which Vladdy directed killer. himself, which is a serial killer. Yeah, the Gemini killer. Yes. About, yeah, the Gemini killer who's um, in a facility. Yeah, that one. Well, is... speaking of CIA, I found this really. You know, I used to pull up for my class because I thought this stuff was all crazy. The CIA connections. The on the CIA.gov Hollywood liaison. Do you know that they've since removed that um, about three or four years ago? So they still have a Hollywood liaison in the CIA office. Um, <clears throat> they made it unsearchable. Like, you can't. I think we're causing them a problem. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think we're causing some problems for them. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I think that, you know, you start telling your students and you start doing kind of a podcast where you talk about this and now people look it up and they were like, well, this is not why we put this up so that everybody can, we can be exposed and how we're involved in cinema and, using this for other things. Right, and one way that that, um, thinking about cultural engineering, it's a very direct way of interference of the CIA or related organizations. One reason that's so important is because it helps to break yeah. the spell of the cult of the artist. Uh, the idea that um, that culture is worldview neutral and that specific pieces of art are worldview neutral. One of my um, favorite compliments about Saif Cinema I've ever gotten is from a, a friend of mine who has very, very different religious and political views, but he says, well, at least now I know that movies have a worldview, and I never used to think about that. And this connects me to um, another topic that, Jay, both you and Father Deacon do in your work, which, you know, through a, a presuppositional apologetics, which is breaking the myth of worldview neutrality, which never exists. And, um, and so we can think about that within the philosophical arena, I just think that that's really, really important to bring into the realm of aesthetics as well, because it almost for people in the um, in a contemporary era where the pursuit of experience and imagination has supplanted uh, tangible religious commitments so much of the time, just uh, just art and pop culture takes the place either explicitly or, or implicitly of religion. Uh, people don't realize that in their pursuit of entertainment or maybe more seriously of finding beauty and art that they are getting these very specific worldviews and presuppositions pumped into them mm -hmm. by the organizations uh, and conceptual uh, infrastructures that, that influence pop culture. It almost becomes, for people, uh, like a form of divination uh, through pop culture of just like, oh, whatever, what message is going to come through this next song I listen through to or movie I watch or whatever medium it is. People just build an invisible worldview just because they, they don't recognize that there are specific forces that are giving specific shape to the worldview behind um, behind Hollywood, behind pop culture in general. So I guess, yeah, any thoughts about that from either of you about, uh, about how thinking art is neutral is such a problem, maybe how that connects to some of the work that both of you do in philosophy and epistemology? Just simply, first thing I would say, and I won't take too long, but how could it be neutral? I mean, there's no, there is no neutrality, and so everything, if everything is theory laden, which I think is where philosophy took us in, you know, the course of the last several hundred years of deconstructing itself, we'd come to realize that oh, actually, there's not anything self-evident or neutral. So if everything is theory laden, if everything exists within some context or paradigm, it's going to apply to, uh, you know, the arts as well. And we don't, but we don't typically think of applying that to the arts. We're always thinking about, oh, this is you know the domain of epistemology and you know rationality and argumentation and abstract stuff. No, what about the arts, right? I mean, the arts have that element as well, to where it's gonna, you're going to be expressing some kind of 
morality, some kind of intentionality, some kind of telos or purpose, even if it's to say there is no telos or purpose, that's your purpose, right? If you're creating what, uh, uh, when, they when they do this kind of uh, evil art that is intentionally malicious and evil, the, the occultists, Satanists have a word for it, they call it aesthetic terrorism. And it's, they, they view it as a way to degrade the culture intentionally, and it's done on purpose. And that's what we have seen, not just in Marilyn Manson, because I remember I first read about that years ago by Satanists talking about Marilyn Manson, saying that we appreciate him. Yeah, it's theatrical, but he's actually doing aesthetic terrorism. And that's a form of ritual warfare for them. And so in the same way, now, here we are, we progress to it not just being this fringe thing with a you know one guy, Marilyn Manson, out there doing it. Now it's the Grammys, it's Sam Smith, it's everywhere. So how can you not tell stories without some meaning or worldview, right? And there, therefore, there's no such thing as neutral stories or neutrality. Right, and let me just add to that, that an important difference between, say, Manson with his uh, Levain Satanism in the, you know, the 90s, uh, ripping out pages of the Bible on stage or uh, just wiping his butt with an American flag or whatever. Like, there's all this stuff that's making a show of being uh, countercultural in some way, like the darkest countercultural ever, it's satanic and all this stuff. Um, and then where that can lead that's even worse is when you have that shock value then meets the implicit uh, morality of culture that has uh, that has replaced older, better, more religious or traditional forms. Whereas um, now you have stuff like Sam Smith at the Grammys or Lil Nas X or stuff like that where it's, it's satanic, mm -hmm. but then it's so clearly 100% aligned with the, with the norms of culture, with, with wokeness and with all these other things, with the elite mandated ideologies. And so there's not even really the show uh, of um, like, oh, like Marilyn Manson's gonna burn everything down. Now it's just like uh, all the Satanism, all the shock value uh, with a, as a combination of like to enforce uh, LGBTQ rights or whatever it is, the, you know, or, you know, or feminism or the cause of the day. So basically I think we've moved into an even worse paradigm where just once you have people like Manson or Reznor in the 90s just come in and burn everything down, something really dangerous gets built on gets built on top of that where it has, yeah, like I said, all of the satanic decadence and awful shock value and that traumatization, but not even the show of being rebellious. Now it's like they're competing to see how much I can align with the dominant ideology. Yeah. Uh, speaking on the kind of myth of neutrality, it's just across the board in any field, it's just uncritical thinking. It's this naivete that, uh, um, well, scenes just believing. I mean, that's just the way it is. So, uh, what are you kidding me? There's more to than meets the eye. I mean, you're being like it's just, but there always is. So to think that it's just all neutral is to be very uncritical and realize that no, there's there's all this stuff that you haven't thought about. The majority of life, I mean, even in the sciences, things aren't the way that they seem in interpersonal relationships. They're not the way that they seem. So you start to investigate. You start to think, why wouldn't this be the same in uh, cinema and the arts? You know, there's the, as Plato says, the realm of appearances and then reality. And it's the task of the philosopher to go beneath the surface and start exploring how is it really, what's really going on here. It doesn't take too much critical thought when it comes to, you know, advertisement and cinema. 
I mean, in one sense, <clears throat> there's this kind of double talk that you always heard this with the music. I mean, come on, music's not influencing kids. Are you crazy? And then on the other side of the mouth, it, music's going to change the world. It's like, well, which one is it? <laughs> and they play this kind of same um, similar game with, oh, we're just representing how things are. I'm like, well, wait a minute. So now every single commercial, every family, like every house, 50% of the houses are now gay. Like every, I mean, what is the gay populace? Is like 2%, 3% if you... Um, 200%. 200% now. Everything is See? taking gray now. But do you know what I mean? So it's, or even when it comes to, you know, I won't dig too far into this, the racial issues too, as far as like, it's overrepresented. So it becomes clear that something's going on here. This isn't just your average household, an average neighborhood. Obviously, it takes just a little bit of critical thinking that, this is being manufactured. Well, Something's being pushed on me to believe and kind of accept and kind of normalize. Um, and that should go to kind of our epistemological questions. No, things aren't the way they seem. There is no pretended neutrality or something like that. There's all this background information and ideologies motivating this stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was just going to say, I think people are, are coming around now, as, as, especially with like the, the Disney revelations. They're putting, you know, quotas on Skittles content and stuff mm -hmm. that people are coming around. And I, and I, I mean, I think people were onto the fact that, you know, like the anti-racial messaging and stuff was in mm -hmm. films and they've come around to this and they've come around to seeing um i don't know how how mechanical i i guess it is but there's still blocks on people seeing um more roundabout sort of agendas and of seeing yeah. like wider sweeping totally. cultural engineering yeah there but one thing i just i i feel like you know in in interacting with people on on the left i feel like you should be able to persuade them of is they're coming from some kind of marxist or post-marxist worldview where the culture is a reflection of of the ruling class right. i mean so they believe the ruling class is a it's bunch of poor it. white people mm -hmm. right. you don't think that i mean come on give me a break so you need to understand so it, it really shouldn't be that hard for them at least to entertain uh this thesis Part of the reason is people are addicted to the entertainment industry. People don't want to hear this. You know, they don't want you to take they don't want you to take it um, away. I mean, I have a certain amount of addiction to the entertainment industry um, still. So it's not very convenient to to hear this. You know, something that that's a great point that I forget about, uh, because a lot of times I get people saying, like, if we cover Dave McGowan type content, I get people saying, you're ruining the doors for me. Yeah. I grew up with the doors. How dare you say that they didn't come up with all the music? You're saying it was the Wrecking Crew. No. Right. It's like, it's like, but it is yeah. a kind of an idol that they have, right? And it's, there's that attachment. And but they do, don't want to give that But up. do you know, some people, as it occurs to me too, psychologically, like, and I, I identify with that, but I kind of, I kind of like being disillusioned partially you see like, you like yeah. <laughs> every time we, we do a movie analysis it's like i kind of like this part and then you're like oh, i hated it <laughs> yeah. it's the worst demonic thing of all time yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah satsuma for people who think they have made iron it's like it's too optimistic about movies in the movie industry yeah. they'll come in yeah, yeah they go yeah. well I, I, i'm the same way too where people are like i can't watch film the same one i'm like but i like it now it's better <laughs> my eyes well I are open but I can see it. Uh, you're right. 
but as things get made more and more like in this agenda, it's getting easier to just be like, we can't watch any of it. Like, yeah, half the things we turn on, Jamie, no, like we have to turn them off. Right? Well, like, how I mean, what's the I mean, if you're like an esoteric Hollywood detective and you're like, What's the point? You turn it on, just say wall to wall Satanism now. Yeah. I mean, like, what's there to detect? Nothing I mean. code anymore. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's great. It's not subtle anymore, right? right? Right. And then I guess something I think about a lot is in terms of like what I personally recommend for other people and what I try to practice myself with regard to consumption of, of films in particular for entertainment, but also just technology driven entertainment in general is that. Um, is that I think it's it's wrong on one hand to say we don't need more like tangible restrictions, like both probably personally and culturally on how we engage with these things. Like, should we probably watch fewer movies? But like, yeah, you probably watch fewer movies. Just be very, very critical about when you are turning these things on, what it's doing, uh, why you decide to watch this. Um, but on the other hand, just saying like, well, uh, I'm not going to watch movies anymore uh, is probably not the solution either because we've already we've already been spliced with Hollywood. We've already uh, we've all, we've already like had the, the download from pop culture, and we it takes a lot of work psychologically and spiritually, I think, to deprogram ourselves uh, whether or not we're continuing to we're continuing to watch movies and all of that. And so, coming with up to a, a critical relationship uh, with film and a discerning relationship with art in general might actually be a way to um, to further that process. So, I guess um, I'm not sure what all of you guys think, but I guess those are. Uh, those are two things for, for me that I've come to pretty definitively, at least for myself, that just uh, that shutting off uh, music and movies and entertainment in general entirely probably isn't going to do the work. But also uh, it'd be a cop out to not say, OK, I'm going to watch fewer movies, fewer of this kind in particular and just be hypercritical about this. Well, you know what we do? Uh, and I'm going to talk about this in the conference in Montana. It's entitled Seek First the kingdom of God. We already talked about this with St. Justin Popovich that the way forward, there is no algorithm. There's no kind of easy answer. You're asking me this. The answer is you require the virtues. Um, <clears throat> and I think it's important to, you know, every, we, we'd already said everything that exists is good. But when I say seek first the kingdom of God and the rest will be added to you, there's, there's a notion of priority there. And I'm going to speak a little bit about this in my th at the conference, but I think it relates to this. <clears throat> Priority isn't how much necessarily time I spend on something. The majority of our time is spent at work. Work is not, our secular work is not our most important. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So let's talk about it in terms of intensity. So in fact, the least amount of time is probably spent in liturgy. Two hours a week. You know, if you include, you know, the Vespers and the Matins more and the prayer. But the idea is that that should be the highest priority because this is where we get, well, what does that mean? There's other goods. In fact, the next thing I would say would be my wife. Shy of God and the Holy Trinity, my wife comes next. Even before the community in the church, then I would say, then my community, my friends in church, then my job, and then my entertainment or hobbies and stuff like that. So what that means is, the and I mess up on this all the time. We all know you're spending time with your wife and she's like, you're always on that dang phone. Are you arguing with somebody on Twitter again? I'm like, hold on, I'm almost finished with this argument, right? <laughs> And how bad that is, It's she's like, you know, here you we have two, three hours, we're alone at night to watch, you know, a film together, and you're bringing this other stuff that you're always... where I'm arguing with people on the phone and like... <laughs> and she's, she's absolutely right, and so what I have to do is start training myself that I'm putting this, all the lower things, away, and I'm devoting this particular time, just like you would in liturgy, would... I mean, it would be insane to think that if I was like arguing, you know, I'm like, I'm supposed to do the great sensing. I'm like, I'm almost done with this argument real quick here. Oh, it's the great entrance. Whoops. Right. You'd be like, well, he's a bad deacon. He should, you know, get removed for, well, it's the same with my, my wife as well. So what that means, the lower things, they're not goods, but they're prioritized in the sense that the intensity in liturgy, nothing below should break in even if it's the least amount of time, then with my wife, the lower things should not break in and interrupt our, and so on and so on. And I think this kind of seek first of the kingdom of God and the rest will be added and put in its right place will actually show us how to proceed through kind of watching films and stuff like that. Yeah, I think as you grow in this religion, you hopefully, uh, you know, like Father Deacon said, there's this natural hierarchy that we have for what we should be doing with our time and attention and energy. And then as you grow, you less and less find the old stuff appealing, you know, violent films or whatever, uh, annoying music. You know, I think about the music I listened to as a teenager. Most mm-hmm. of it I can't listen to anymore. Yeah. Like it's just, well, it sounds dumb and weird and gross and it's annoying. And then for, Leisure. I think God did make us to be beings who have freedom. And so because of the multiple goods, as Father Deacon talked about, if everything else is in order, like, you can do what you want in your leisure time. There's all mm-hmm. kinds of goods that you can engage in, right? And that can be the arts. And you won't, if, if we're on the right track here, we won't want uh, degenerate art. 
right? And that prioritization, I think, is so helpful for this idea of intentionality being such a redeeming factor in interacting with art because it's um, in certain ways, like even like putting in the time to watch an edifying movie is just so much less destructive than just like checking your phone constantly. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, just so when I, I talked earlier about uh, about technology uh, and its most corrupting aspects kind of um, melding with the most corrupting aspects of imagination, and I think that gets worse and worse the more kind of a schizo, a format of technology that we're talking about, because so much of what's happening is the is the uh, amplification of hybridization, the breaking down of boundaries. Like that's the satanic transhumanist worldview. And um, and then that's the worst aspect of a, a medium like film. Like I said, it blurs the line between yourself, the, the film star, the filmmaker, all these things. It breaks down It breaks down boundaries. And um, when people, when you hear this for like post-human, post-humanist techno-acceleration celebrities like Grimes or people like that, Jamie, I've heard you talk about Grimes saying about uh, you know, us becoming cyborgs and things like that through, oh, the cell phone makes us cyborg, and that's great. We need to become more like cyborgs. Well, the more that we can do to take a step back from that, uh, that's, I think, a better thing. And so maybe that'll go even further steps back or a step in a different direction with filmmaking, but even uh, moving back from just like, I am just glued to the internet all day. I am plugged into the matrix too. I've been doing other things. I've been prioritizing the right things. And now I'm choosing volitionally to enter into this yeah. space and then I'm going to exit it. Removing that malicious immersion, I think is really key. Yeah, that's and, totally right. You, yeah, said and this, you, you said that this is making everybody, especially younger people, like totally incapable of social interactions. Yes. Yeah, so, um, and one thing we haven't talked about too is video games. Um, I can't tell you how many lives I've seen that are just destroyed. And part of what we have to keep in mind too is the science behind all of this and dopamine. Mm -hmm. So each thing, you know, from like a beautiful sunset to caffeine to nicotine to methamphetamine, um, they, they produce higher levels of dopamine. And by the way, this is why we fast, right? Like we're, we're taking more. You know, uh, but what I, video games and movies will do the same. And you're getting a huge level of, of dopamine, right? So just like a drug addict, um, what is the one thing that you notice about drug addicts? They're depressed. They're depressed all the time. Well, why? Because they can't find enjoyment at the lower level dopamines. They can't see beauty in They're so used to... And you start getting intolerance, you have to keep raising that higher and higher, which means all the other things in life that you should be enjoying can no longer be enjoyed. Um, you're you're having right dopamine Dys overload, dysphoria. They have all the time. And so this is why, as Orthodox, we have dopamine fast. Right? Mm -hmm. we, we we fast even from social media. We have to kind of reset um, so that we can see things and experience them in the right way but again prioritizing and giving somebody a well-balanced life now the easy way and everybody wants to go well i found god i'm cutting it all out film music you know it's what that's the trap view, yeah. and it's the easy because you know what the hard way is that you have to work at this stuff mm. and then slowly you start to ease stuff out and be like i don't need it anymore 
um, it's much easier to be like, I'm going big or go home. And I'm this cutting it. a delusion where people go online, they feel like they have to go on a quest to tell everybody that if you watch movies or yeah. music or the radio, you're evil. But there is, I want to talk about a real issue that I'm noticing with the young people too, that this media and medium of technology, this is a virtual world, meaning it represents the real world and it's only so good as it represents. For example, if I had a, I don't know what's on here, if there was a beautiful sunset or something like that, you would say, well, it's that's nice in as much as it fits the kind of prototype that it's representing out there. And now kids are, it's inverted. The virtual world becomes the standard of reality for, so that they're saying, oh, when they see a beautiful sunset, and Abbas Emiliani brought this up, said, oh yeah, it's like that video game. That's their standard for reality. This is the virtual world. Now think about this in terms of interpersonal relationship. Everybody is um, Discord and Twitch, and um, even when they're playing video games, they're developing relationships. And like my nephew says, these are real friends. These are my real friends. But he has no friends outside yeah. of... Now watch when it comes to dating. All these guys, young guys complain about how they can't find women. No women. But then when we put them in a scenario where there's a beautiful orthodox woman that they can actually meet, they become completely retarded. And they don't know how to, well, I know how to talk on the computer. And I'm like, well, obviously you just identified the problem, right? You learned in a virtual world that's no surrogate for real relationships. So that's another issue too. So no, it's not all bad, but it's, well, if you were raised on it, yeah. if this becomes your standard for reality, you have too much, not to mention that we're now learning that it's rewiring. Yeah. Um, in fact, Father Andrew's wife that you you spoke to father andrew who's a pediatrician that has some uh, information from fellow doctors that uh, a rise of uh, transgender and homosexuality is actually occurring because of the rewiring that's happening so not just purposely giving propaganda but that the our, our the way that we're learning and rewiring our brains from being on mm. digital technology all the time mm. So it's not the water that's turning the frogs gay. It's the internet's destroying the world. The internet. <laughs> it, it it's is, rewiring it, it and is, making everybody lowering the testosterone levels and it is, the, it is the atrazine as well, though. It is the, the water. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's multiple. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely gay. multiple. Yeah. Yeah. I it's mean, binary it's, it's, yeah. when you combine these things, right? Well. Uh, yeah, I mean, video games. I mean, I think video games are, are actually more important to cultural engineering now than, than yeah, movies. Mm -hmm. It's it's you know it's the old Hegelian, um, the owl of Minerva flies at dusk. I think you know so much of the great um, esoteric Hollywood stuff that you're doing, Jay and Jason Horsley and, and others. It's coming in what I I consider the post you know cinema uh, era when actually the aesthetic values that really came into their own in the late '60s, early '70s are, are pretty much fading away and. Also, other things are happening. I mean, so, I mean, to me, the herm, what I, you know, the hermeneutic, the way of interpreting movies that that we're developing. I mean, it works on me. It has broken a lot of the um, the spell of of movies on me. I hope it works for for other people. 
I don't know. I mean, we we need to um, really collaborate with other people who who look at this stuff in video games, look at cultural engineering in video games and other things. Um, you know, I'm I'm not sure. There's also like uh, sports as part of the entertainment oh, yeah. industry, and that's a big you know religion for people. And you know, I'm thinking of I, I revisited some old sport. I mean, I used to be obsessed with sports, and I revisited some old uh, sports movies uh, some time ago. Um, one of them, Bull, Bull Durham. Um, and if you the opening uh, the opening monologue with Susan Sarandon, she's talking about she's worshiping at the Church of Baseball, yeah. and I can, there's other football movies that are explicitly like the the, the uh, framing the sport as displacing um, uh, religion, you know. And I, we went to an Episcopal church when I was a kid, but like I just thought it was a crime that I was missing the not even the game, but the pregame show, yeah, you know. Sure. And I had to be at the, <laughs> to be at the um, so, but the hope is whatever it is that if, if we can break the spell of this stuff and people, it'll, it'll displace the spiritual energy people are putting there and it just, it'll go into its right place, right? If people do seek first the kingdom of heaven, all these things will, and there's a place for sports in the world and there's a place for yeah. video games and, and movies, mm -hmm. but when it becomes a religion or when it becomes an addiction, because right, the drug to a drug addict is basically, you know, that person's sacrament. That's like, that's that person's religion. Um, that's where they get their joy, not in Christ, not in their family, not all these other things. And as you mentioned, yeah, there's a, definitely a biochemical component of it and everything. But I mean, that's that's our ambition is to 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 break the spell of the entire entertainment industry. I just happen to have um, uh, an expertise in film because I, you know, I've watched many, many, many thousands of them. So. Yeah, and I'll just add to that, that in particular, film is helpful because looking at, like I said, the um, correlations between the, the particular kind of fetishization of fame and celebrity that we get with Hollywood, Hollywood culture, with techniques like the close-up shot, all these things, I think that even though we've moved into even potentially more destructive phases of culture engineering with video games and you know, with TikTok and with all these other things, uh, there are certain keys to the whole awful anti-humanist satanic puzzle that Hollywood really can help us unlock, which is why I think it's important and why we all focus on it so much. Um, uh, Brett, do you have any final questions for our guests before we start to wrap things up? Yeah, there's there's one that's been on my mind. I, I wrote down for Father Deacon Ananias because um, at the outset, you know, we, we discussed um, how, you know, uh, children's cartoons and uh, movies and uh, things can can possibly restore the image of God and and have really good social messaging. Well, are there are there actually any canons like about? I mean, I know I know that doesn't have to. I know that we're not just talking about like like Christian subjects. I mean, you can have good messages and um, and sort of restorative imagery that's not necessarily explicitly Christian or Orthodox. But are there any canons around the dramatic portrayal of sacred? Um, subjects that you that you know of, you know, like in the in the um, Byzantine theater or something, where the things you could or couldn't portray or you could or couldn't do. I mean, they have canons about forbidding clergy to go to theaters because they were pornographic, and, um, or taverns because they were brothels, um, which became a huge issue a couple months ago. That um, I forgot about that. Yeah, that issue. I remember now. Yeah, yeah same usual suspects yeah. jumping on. Um, neophytes with uh, no blessing um all zeal no virtue or experience and no blessing or guidance from clerical to come on and, and interpret the canons for us and to say well clergy are not supposed to be going to bars like that's a case like most all the bishops and priests
because I know we're going to be excommunicated. <laughs> like, and so, well, what does that mean? Again, well, obviously, words are just the way they appear, right? They're just neutral. It means the same thing for tavern means the same thing for, by the way, we just did this in class. Um, words only have one meaning, right? Yeah. And can only be, if the beer is light, it obviously means light yeah, and color, like not light. And, or yeah, light and color, you know, light tasting. <laughs> um, I found money um, at the bank, Bank of the River or Wells Fargo. Um, <laughs> so they, there's context behind they have to be interpreted and stuff like that. But obviously, the, the principle behind it is that yeah, well, you shouldn't be going to strip clubs and brothels right as clergy surprise surprise um so there are things like that as far as you know i haven't read i'm not an expert in canada law but I, I typically don't read the rhetors and and i mean occasionally just to find some funny ones like clergy shouldn't be riding horses <laughs> um and you said that was because of nobility so yeah at the at the time it was you know seen as no nobility um, there's also canons about, you know, or there's even scriptures about a man shouldn't have long hair, but it was yeah. talking actually about decorating because you, you know, you see in the Byzantine, like the no, nobility would have the, the jewelry hanging off their yeah. hair and stuff like that. So there's an idea of both humility and modesty that's behind those things. Um, those are the only ones that I know kind of offhand as far as kind of the arts is that will look what's very clear pornography and prostitution and these sorts of things they're wrong um so if you have a place that's involved with that um stay away from it but as far as other issues with like art and images i i don't actually know um clearly there's rules on iconography yeah like yeah. how you're supposed to so and a lot of these don't even need to be written down in canons or something like this. It's known through the community. Um, it doesn't even necessarily even have to be oral tradition. It's, we know you don't do icons out. Who said? Who taught you? It's like, we just know. That's it's just kind of incarnated and it's always been that way. Um, so I imagine there's a lot of those kind of intuitive knowings when it comes to these things too, they could get clouded through vice. So what do we do? You acquire virtue and this stuff becomes clear on what to do on these issues. All right, thanks Brother Deacon. And yeah, just um, thank you both for, for coming on. We're really, really grateful that you did. Yeah, uh, just for either of you, uh, if you wanna give any last comments you might have, I think this has been a fantastic discussion, the exact, exactly the kind of conversation I was hoping to have. Uh, to have with both of you. So if, any last comments on anything you want to plug for the audience? No, not that I can think of. I mean, I kind of tried to touch on, you know, an orthodox analysis of some art uh, in my meta narratives uh, essay book. And so, you know, the, it touches on a little bit of that. You know, we get into this, there's some analysis of Dostoevsky and, um, you know, known orthodox uh, writers to a degree in that text, as well as kind of looking at Homer and the Iliad and some of these older things looking for you know, symbolic correspondences that would pertain to orthodoxy is kind of what I tried to do in some of those old essays. But, um, yeah, I think that uh, there are people who are beginning to make uh, at least orthodox conscious films, and that's pretty exciting, especially coming out of Russia. 
So I hope that we see more of that. And I think that uh, if Jamie and I ever become uh, Bitcoin zillionaires, we'll try to make movies that have these kinds of themes. I mean, I don't know that we're going to be Bitcoin zillionaires. But, <laughs> like, if that ever happened, we would love to make, you know, quality films, not degenerate films. So I got I got some old scripts. I can okay. yeah, show. Oh, <laughs> another person to keep your eye out is Nathan Baz Basil. Don't you Jake. have a friend? Is that him? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and I think he's, I don't know if he's got signed with Lionsgate on this film, but it's one on possession. Wow. So the, the previous one, which was an orthodox film, was Becoming Truly Human. You can find that on Amazon. Um, and then he had done a, he's part of Sophia. Um, he used to come, he was going to be in Greece with us. He was a philosophy professor before they, uh, the Evangelical University kicked him out after he converted. So, um, look, there's people like that to keep your eye on. That, uh, mm -hmm. So we're filming a big thing this week. I can't say what, but it will be the arts. It will be comedic, satirical thing. So I just, I just remember that we're trying to do that very thing this week. Oh, so I can't say what it is. Okay. Uh, well, I'll just end by saying so. Some of the some of the themes that I talk about in this discussion are um, going to enter into uh, paper I'm presenting tomorrow. The context of the listeners I don't think we've mentioned yet is that we're all together for uh, an Orthodox philosophy conference, and um, I'll probably do some version of my paper for the for the Patreon subscribers. So I'll just plug that mm -hmm. Patreon.com/slash/sidecinema. If you want to hear my uh, my very very pessimistic apocalyptic uh, analysis about the intersection of art and technology and where that's taking us, but uh, Jay, it's always a pleasure to have you on. Um, all of our listeners know you're a huge inspiration for the show, so it's always uh, very fun uh, to collaborate. And Father Deacon, we've had hoped to have you on for a long time, so great to have uh, all of your insights, and we'd love to have you back on for another conversation sometime. You can maybe uh, pick a film for us to analyze, and we would uh, we would enjoy that. And uh, Jamie, thank you for your comments during this as well. Yeah. And um, uh, we're big appreciators of your work too, so sometime we'd love to have you on the show as well. So lots more collaborations. Uh, for the listeners uh, to look forward to. So until next time, this has been PSYOP Cinema.